is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi there, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 504, recorded on Tuesday, November the 3rd, 2020. Tuesday, Tuesday. How are you, Chris? I'm pretty good. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. The first thing I want to do is wish The Walking Dead a belated happy 10-year anniversary, because October 31st, Halloween yeah. was the 10-year anniversary since the premiere of the pilot episode of The Walking Dead. Well, shit. And I forgot all about that last week, but it indeed was October 31st, uh, 2010, that the show started. So wow. uh, even though this podcast is 11 years old, the show is only 10. Nice. Well, that that's good. That's good. That's, that's, that's very interesting. I was just thinking uh, the other day that... Uh, I'm looking forward to watching that first season of The Walking Dead again in uh, three years when The Walking Dead is over. Yeah, me too. Um, I I have gone back and watched the pilot more than once over the years, I, but I know you haven't, so it'll be fun for you someday to do that. It would. I'm uh, See, I think of it as a time machine, mm-hmm. right? It's I haven't gone back there. I, uh, I'm well aware of uh, my concept of what that, pilot episode is like or that first season season is like i know what the major uh plot points are for example uh and it's like driving down the street and you remember oh yeah there used to be a tree there this whole row of row of houses was different uh this whole thing was uh you know completely different i wonder what it would be like to go back and look at this street uh from 10 years ago when all this shit has changed. So uh, I'm looking forward to the fact that I will be able to do that. I will be able to go back in time and see a, uh, uh, a young Rick Grimes, because he's mm-hmm. going to look like a baby <laughs> he sure when will. I go back <laughs> and look at it. And it's going to be uh, very interesting to see. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah, he'll definitely look a little different way back then, um, but that'll be fun. I look forward yeah. to the day you can do that. Yeah, he'll look he'll look a lot younger in the future when he was younger. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, maybe someday we'll do a podcast on that, but for now, we have lots of stuff to talk about tonight. Of course, the other thing that's going on today is being November 3rd, it is the US presidential election, and I think many, many people are tuning into that right now watching it, but Jason, you and I decided to turn off the gong show that is American politics right now and record a podcast instead because, you know, whatever happens tonight with the election or in the coming weeks and months with the election, we'll always have the podcast. So we're going to do it instead of watching that. Yeah. And okay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you have to say on that. That's all I have to say about that for now. All right. Well, that's, is what it is, I guess. So we are going to cover four big episodes of two different Walking Dead shows tonight, which will get us all caught up on the currently airing shows. I have a little bit of listener feedback to do before we start that, mostly some follow-up stuff. Oh, is that my credit card? Not my credit card, my uh, report card again? (laughs) No, it's your credit card this time. It's uh, it's your credit (laughs) score. We're just going to go over it and make sure you're in the black. 
Actually, that I'm not I'm not overly worried about that right now. More of a credit, more of a report card kind of thing. All right. Well, we'll get into Jason's report card soon enough. That should be a new segment on this show, I think. Yeah. Uh, but first, I just want to really quickly look at the ratings for the two shows that are on right now: World Beyond and Fear. And not each individual episode, but we haven't looked at them uh, really so far since those shows started their recent seasons. Uh, and I thought it would be interesting because World Beyond is getting just over a million viewers per episode right now. That's, they're averaging about 1.17 for, for everything that they've put out so far. Uh, Fear is averaging about 1.5 million per episode right now. So both of those shows, over a million eyeballs, uh, every week, which is pretty darn good, especially I'd say for World World Beyond, which is a new show that, you know, has the Walking Dead audience, but no previous seasons to bolster it up a little bit. So right. um, not too bad. And Fear is coming in around one and a half million per episode right now. So also not terrible. That's good. Yeah. I guess you could say that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. What was the Walking Dead getting at 1.13 million? Well, at its peak, it was like 17, but, uh, you know, that's not a thing anymore. And recently, what was The Walking Dead getting in season 10? They were doing okay. Yeah, three something around there. So, um, it's still, you know, it's still the highest rated show of the three of them. Um, but these two aren't doing so bad, all things considered. Yeah. I mean, uh, the 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 world ain't what it used to be. You know what I mean? It, uh, it is absolutely, our perception changes are, uh, you know, normal gets worse as time goes on, uh, <laughs> right. kind of thing where you'll, you'll accept things that are way different than what you've would have accepted, uh, you know, seven years ago kind of thing. Sure. So, uh, yeah, the world is, the world moves on, hopefully not in the, uh, dark tower kind of way, but it does move on. <laughs> it sure does. All right, well, let's do some listener feedback before we dive into each of these episodes, starting right now. Listener feedback. First one here is a call from Kate. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. This is Kate from San Francisco. I just wanted to say I am pretty excited about The World Beyond. I saw the first episode. I really liked it. I loved how it was sort of a fake out where you thought it was a flashback with all the kids at I guess their high school and things were going well. That's my favorite plot line on The Walking Dead. When you see people of rebuilt society and see how they do it, it's optimistic and I think realistic that people would actually get their act together if they survived eventually. I thought it was cool how their dad was working on something. Was it a cure? Anyway, things seemed good to me and I liked that. And I decided... Oh, and it was silly that the kids couldn't kill zombies. That was weird, but I'll allow it. So I decided, hey, I'll check out the Fear of the Walking Dead again. I stopped watching it last season because aside from John Dory, I just didn't care about any of the characters. But and then I really liked the first episode of this season. I It was great to see Morgan have this cool thing where he could get past zombies. Not sure if that was explained last season, but... I love Bounty Hunter guy. That was, was yeah, very sorry he didn't survive. And so then I decided, okay, I'm in for fear. But then the second episode, oh my gosh, with Lady Negan from The Boys, I 
you know, she's sitting there having her bangs trimmed. It, I feel like it's such a cliche where the villain is being groomed and her people that she's oppressing come in. And it's just, ugh. if I was a villain, I just wouldn't do that. And so then you see Alicia and Strand at her, I guess, prison camp type situation. And, you know, I just feel like I don't like that plot line where you need people to survive in this society, right? To overcome the zombies. And why are you killing them? And so I actually turned it off. I, so that, uh, cause I had this book I want to read. And so I started reading it. So I just want to say thank you, Fear the Rocking De- Walking Dead, for getting me to read again. <laughs> okay, thanks, Kate. <laughs> it's kind of an abrupt ending there, but uh, uh, the show, so she, she liked how World Beyond began. She liked how Fear began, but didn't like how Fear continued. So, Kate, I'm curious now that we're a few more episodes into each show, if you're still watching them and how you feel. I am also curious, and I'm also curious uh, what you're reading. Yeah, what book you're reading. And uh, I uh, I'm always looking for book recommendations. All right. So, so Kate, call in again. Let us know if you're still on board and, and what book you're into. So thank you and for calling. L- l- and Lady Negan from The Boys. Right. Uh, I think that's her new name. <laughs> Lady Negan. Uh, okay. Thanks, Kate, for that. Next up is Happy Jack from Victoria, BC. And he writes, I just wanted to chime in as I'm listening to your last installment. On World Beyond, when Barca is taken away at the end... I think he gets it in the brain because his rant ends abruptly and is followed by a thump of him hitting the floor. One less mouth to feed now. The guilt tears by Elizabeth may also be because she gave the termination order. So this is the guy that they take away out of her living quarters at the end. And if you pay attention, you can hear him kind of ranting as they drag him down the hall and then there's a thud. So they either knocked him out or took him out. And that's... Not great either way. I don't know. I mean, the thud could mean anything, right? I guess, but uh, you hear you a know, thud and the guy, fell goes, down. the guy goes silent, you know? I don't know. That <laughs> yeah, could happen. <laughs> I guess, but, you know, it could be telling us something else about the Civic Republic and how they deal with people who dissent a little bit. Yeah. Right? True. True, true, true. Thank you, Happy Jack. Here we have a call from Lucy. Hi, guys. This is Lucy from Arizona. I was just listening to episode 502. Uh, about the submarine um i think the bounty hunter had the key and he said he had to get to galveston i've taken vacations in galveston and they have a naval submarine museum there with submarines in dry dock and it's also on the gulf of mexico so uh i don't know maybe that's the answer thanks a lot guys bye cool thanks lucy so galveston is this little bit of texas that sticks out into the gulf of mexico and sure enough there are submarines there that I think are mostly tourist attractions now. So I don't know. I don't know how the sub got from there to where it was, but there are subs that are in dry dock in Texas. Wow. I'm the, the only real thought that's running through my head right now is shut up and take my money. <laughs> I, as soon as the world opens up again, I'm going to Galveston because I would love to go on a tour of a submarine. It's cool. I did the one at the USS. Wait, wait, wait. I'm claustrophobic. Uh, I want to see a cutout of a submarine. I want to see a whole submarine cut in half that I can look at from a safe dis- distance. I don't think I'd climb down a hatch. Oh, no, I did it. It was pretty awesome. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, when I, The USS Midway, I think, was the one. Is that the one in San Diego? That's where I went on a sub, I think. It was years ago, but it was awesome. Well, Midway's in the Pacific, if that helps. 
Well, so, I think so. That was the aircraft carrier that was there, which was also very cool, I thought. That I would like to see. There's some pretty tight spaces on an aircraft carrier too, though. Yeah, not where I would go. Okay. You know, they have a big deck. If I can stand on the deck, great. They have the big hangar underneath the deck. Mm-hmm. I'm good with that. Okay. If there's a mess hall, there's probably like hundreds of mess halls in a, in a <laughs> aircraft carrier. That's okay. At least one big enough for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So crawling around uh, in tight spaces, maybe that part of the tour can be bypassed. Okay. Finally, I've got an email from Dwayne in Vancouver, Washington. Dwayne says, hello. I just want to say that Elton is carrying a Ronco pocket fisherman from the 1970s. Every time Jason misidentified it, I have yelled at the radio. It is not an ice fishing rod, although it does appear similar. I also disagree that it is a stupid thing to take on the trip because during the zombie apocalypse, fishing would be crazy good because there is no real competition out there. So before you respond, Jason, yep. I think the key to understanding Elton's carrying of a fishing rod is not as a weapon. Don't think of it as a weapon because it's not a weapon. You can't kill a zombie with that fishing rod, but you can actually fish with it. And as Dwayne points out, nobody else is fishing. So there's probably lots of fish and it's a good way to catch some food. Okay. Uh, I can understand that from a certain point of view, but why would you need a fishing rod that's only like 18 inches long? It's designed to be portable. Like it's designed to go on a camping trip, for example, and not be long and annoying and take up lots of room. It's a pocket fisherman. Uh, specifically built for that purpose. Fishing rods come apart. Well, right? You can take them apart and then they bungee together. There's And there's probably even like uh, collapsible ones uh, that you just, you know, you collapse all in on itself. There's probably all kinds of technology that uh, has come out in the last 40 years since I held a fishing rod or looked in a fishing section of any kind of store. But anyway, I still don't understand why carrying a fishing rod it, it would be an idea. Because, like I said, you could use a stick. You know, sure, if there's lots and lots of fish, they don't care if you're call, uh, carrying a Ronco, you know, RX-380. I don't even know what <laughs> he said it was. Or Should if he's that. carrying a stick. Uh, anyway. And why wouldn't it be an ice fishing rod? Okay, sure, it's a portable It's a portable fishing rod. But, you know, you don't carry a full-size fishing rod into an ice shack. No, right? you don't. So it... it, it there are such a thing as ice fishing rods, as Dwayne is saying, but this isn't one. This is a specifically designed portable fishing system that existed back then, maybe before they had collapsible or whatever regular fishing rods. So, Well, he is Mr. 80s. Uh, uh, Elton? Yeah. <laughs> okay. he's, got, he's got all his, you know, he's got the 80s outfit on and the 80s fishing rod and uh, yeah, I, uh, okay. I accept that. All right. Fair enough. I just wanted to bring it up because it's an angle I hadn't thought of or didn't know about. A angle? Get it? Angler? <laughs> Shing. Zing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks you guys for writing in to clarify and give us your thoughts. Uh, anyone else who wants to send in feedback by all means, stay tuned at the end of the show to be reminded about how you can reach us. Okay, Jason, let's get into our first episode now. We are going to start with Fear the Walking Dead, Season yeah. 6, Episode 3, called Alaska. And what's special about this episode is that it was directed by Coleman Domingo. Oh, nice. So that's exciting. He's, of course, it the is. actor who plays Strand. Um, 
This episode really focuses on Al and Dwight and what they are doing. So they're out there, they're scouting locations on behalf of Virginia. They say to determine why people are dead and sort of figure out how to prevent that from happening again. They're sort of studying, you know, mass death scenes or locations, deciding what went wrong, and then, you know, making sure that their settlements don't fall in the same ways. So they're, they're doing research pretty much. And um, most of this episode, though, is spent w when the two of them realize that um, Isabel, who is the CRM person that Al fell in love with last season, is flying around in a helicopter, landing at certain locations for supplies and things like that. Because Al has been monitoring their communications and is kind of trying to figure out where they go and what they do. She determines that they're going to land on the top of this office building. So most of this episode is them kind of dieharding it up in this big building to get to the roof to meet Isabel. Okay. So, yes. Uh, plague zombies. So it's a new type of zombie. Right. Uh, we'll get that out of the way. Uh, the helicopter landing on the roof for resupply. Uh, maybe we can walk through this a little bit. I don't quite understand. So are they dropping off supplies or are they picking up supplies for, or both from this rooftop supply drop? You know, that isn't totally clear to me either because... We do find out that there are a bunch of supplies just sitting there up on the roof, having not been taken yet. But we, it, it, you're right, it's not clear to me whether they're coming to pick the stuff up or leave it, um, or if it's just a location where they, they store things and retrieve them as necessary. I don't really know. All right, so I'm going to have to go with store things and retrieve them if necessary, because this office building is full of people uh, and at least a few of which have been inside this building since the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. Correct. Which doesn't make any sense because they have to go out and I'm sure the office building doesn't have years worth of food in it, but N no. that's okay. Yeah. At least this lady has been inside. So this building has been occupied since the zombie apocalypse started. Mm -hmm. And they said that the last time somebody went up on the roof when the helicopter landed, was killed. And thrown off the edge. Yeah. Shot and, and thrown off. Yeah. So nobody goes up to the roof. And that also tells me that nobody comes in from the outside of the building and goes up to the roof mm -hmm. other than our intrepid heroes, of course, but they have to go through plague zombies to get there. So that also tells me, uh, that the helicopter people, when they're dropping stuff off, they don't leave the roof. Like they don't go down to the ground. So nope. they're not, uh, they're not dropping off supplies and then using that to distribute them anywhere. So the, this was my confusion was why are they dropping off or picking up supplies? Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you brought up, this is just a depot of supplies that can only be gotten to by helicopter. So why would you need a supply depot that you couldn't get to from the ground? Well, yeah, that's a good point. It seems like the Civic Republic pretty much exclusively travels by helicopter, though. So if they have set up these supply depots where they can restock, say, on their way somewhere and therefore expand their range, right? They can go farther because they don't have to take everything with them all at once, maybe. 
like that kind of thing. But you're right. If they were on foot somewhere and everything's on the roof, it's not all that practical. So is it just a cache where they're just caching some uh, basic supplies in case uh, the shit hits the fan and they don't have any more, uh, you know, the, the CRM has to disband and this is a place where they could go and get some beer? I mean, I'm not you sure know, they're... Worst case scenario? Yeah, I, I don't know that they're too worried about disbanding, but as a cache, sort of, yeah, just as a supply location, right? Like, you know... Wouldn't com- it be companies- a warehouse? Well, yeah. Rather than just a roof where they drop off a couple of boxes of crap? I don't know. Maybe they you figure know, it's safest. beer and magazines and a couple of, you know, uh, a box of anti-plague medicine, which is <laughs> convenient as hell. It sure is. You know, I don't know. It's... It's safer on the roof than like on the ground where anyone can just find it. Maybe that's what they're thinking. They well, have the resources. That. Huh? You bury that. That's what you do with caches. If you have a cache of something you need to store and you don't want anybody else to find it, you pick a friggin' location someplace and you take 10 pieces, 10 paces from this tree and it's uh, four feet from this other tree and you fucking bury it in the ground. Right? Well, so that nobody else can find it. And then you cover it with leaves. Just I like guess. a squirrel. This is what squirrels do, right? They cache their stupid nuts in the middle of the, in the middle of nowhere <laughs> so that they can find it later when they need to. And they don't want other squirrels finding it. Did you know a squirrel can remember up to 1,500 individual locations of where they buried shit? That's a lot. Fucking squirrels. They only got tiny little brains that are smaller than their eyeballs. And uh, they can remember that. that, That's all they do, right? That's essentially their entire brain is trying to remember where they buried that fucking nut. Where was that nut again? Oh, yeah, right. It's over here. In location number 824. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so that's what you do with a cache. You don't leave it on the roof of a building where anybody could stumble across it. Well, except that I don't think anyone would stumble across it on the roof of a building. But I take That's occupied knowingly. Well, yeah. Knowingly occupied. I know. I take your point. It seems a little strange. But I have to admit, it made for what I thought was a pretty good episode. I like this one a lot. I thought that um, both Austin Emilio and Maggie Grace were great. I thought they had amazing chemistry throughout the episode. I really felt like they'd been out on the road together for a long time and they'd become very close and were good friends. And it just, it was fun. I thought this was a really fun episode despite some of those things. And, uh, and you know, some questions about all these people in the office building for 10 years, apparently, and so on. But, uh, it was, it was good. I thought this was a really good episode. And so, you know, so far on fear, we've now had we haven't talked about number four yet, but out of one, two, and three, we've had two good and one bad. For fear, that's a pretty good ratio so far. Yeah, I thought this was uh, slightly better than mediocre. Okay. Well, hey, at least you're on sort of on the right side there. Yeah. Um, so some of the notable things about this one, I think, uh, it does start with Morgan. So we do have a scene with Morgan at the beginning where he has this, I think it's a jar of jam, And that indicates to Rachel that he's been trading with Virginia or at least has access to their supplies somehow. And this gets her a little upset because she she thinks it's, it's worrisome because she's worried they're going to find out where they are and then come and take them away or kill them or, or whatever. Um, but it seems to me like, or, uh, Morgan is just kind of arranging things. He's not doing anything yet. He's just making contact right with Daniel and, with other people. 
Yeah. Well, and that's how you make friends and influence people is you ask, you ask them to do you a favor. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So it's, you don't, don't offer to do them a favor because that seems uh, a little too much. As far as, uh, you know, can I do you any, can I do anything for you kind of thing? It's just, mm-hmm. seems kind of smarmy, but if you really want to get somebody on your side, ask them to do you a favor. doesn't matter what it is. It can be just little small things like, Hey, can I borrow your pen kind of thing? Right. And then you've created a bond that you can build on. That's your, that's your, uh, that's your tip of the week. Interesting. Okay. So. So this is what Morgan's doing, right? Uh, I assume that this is not Daniel that he's talking to, uh, because Daniel has left the, uh, you know, the whole encampment thing. He's gone, right? So it's it's not Daniel that well, he's trading with. I think it is. I think it. We're supposed. We're meant to believe that it is Daniel in this case. He's he's made contact with him, and like, doesn't Morgan say something about I have a guy on the inside, but it's perfectly he- safe. Yeah, and that's the thing is I don't think that that's Daniel because I think Daniel walked away from the group. I think he he kind of just packed up and said "fuck it, I'm out of here," uh, and left. I don't think he turned around and went back in as a you know a, back in as a mole, but I'm not sure. I oh, I don't know. I I assumed he did because sort of what we've learned about people who try to escape, like Ginny is not into that. She'll hunt you down and kill you. So I think. My, my interpretation is Daniel went back in, he's still there. He's now basically an inside contact of Morgan and occasionally gives him a nice jar of jam. But you, All right. But you're right. We don't have confirmation on that either way. Uh, but you, you make a compelling argument about uh, Ginny will hunt you down if you try and leave. And he, if he just walked away, she would definitely try and hunt him down. Unless, of course, Morgan said, he's with me now. And then she, because she's definitely trying to hunt down Morgan. That's true. So yeah. why, you know, adding one more uh, person to, to hunt down uh, probably wouldn't make that much of a difference in Morgan's life. I, I, I sort of think that if Daniel was going to leave, he would have gone with Morgan. Like, I think right now, Daniel's more valuable to Morgan on the inside than he is by just having him flee off on his own or even come with Morgan. Because if if Daniel disappears and there's any way to connect that to Morgan, then yeah, Ginny's hunting for both of them at this point. And I don't think Morgan's ready for that yet. He's trying to, he's trying to act sort of on the down low for now, right? Okay. Not draw All attention right. to himself. The other things that, the other two things that I think that are uh, in, interesting about this opening scene with Morgan is that he attaches the bounty hunter's axe to his poking stick and creates a pretty badass friggin' weapon, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, it's a combo weapon. It's uh, it's now plus one. It's amazing axe on one end and pointy stick on the other, and we know how good he is with the pointy stick, so very cool. <laughs> if you've got an axe blade on the end of a stick, do you need another pointy end of the stick? I think you do, because then whichever way you pick it up and different fighting scenarios, you know, different enemies, right? Zombies are good for being poking, or pointy stick is good for poking zombie through the head. So is an axe, though, to be fair. Yeah, well, you've—I mean, I—it's—it's it's a matter of fighting style and preference, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's Morgan, so having a pointy stick as well as an axe is pretty cool. But I'm just saying, if you have an axe, do you need another pointy end? <laughs> you've already got a pretty hefty pointy end. Well, I think the more pointy ends you can have, the better. Yeah, we'll get a double-bladed axe then. You know, blades Ooh. on both sides. Get two axes, two one-hand axes. That's uh, that's my preferred fighting style as a dwarf when I play D and D. Okay. I love having two one-handed axes and 
going into battle that way. Well, that does sound fun as well. But either way, I think Morgan has a pretty badass weapon at this point. And chopping wood, right? If you put a whole bunch of wood all standing up in, a, in an area, you could take two, two axes, one in each hand, and just go chop, 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 <laughs> chop. <laughs> if I did that, I'd chop myself for sure. Oh, uh, yeah. It would, uh, I'd probably get through three chops, and it would be like, okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> take my, a break. My arms are tired. <laughs> my arms are tough. I'm going to strain something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Finally, Morgan says to Rachel in this scene, I feel like I've been 16 different somebodies since all this ended. And I just wanted to say to myself, well, zing, at least the show knows that Morgan has been all over the place in 10 years of being on Walking Dead shows. Uh, and I get the feeling they're finally trying to settle him down into a consistent character and he's not going to be clearing Morgan and he's not going to be helping Morgan and he's not going to be useless Morgan anymore. He's going to be this consistent Morgan. And I am all for it. Yeah. I think maybe they're just kind of freeing him from needing to settle him down. Like if they've already acknowledged that he's like 16 different somebodies since this whole thing ended, uh-huh. why stop there? You know, just let Morgan be Morgan and Morgan happens to be whoever he needs to be. Or right. The plot needs him to be. Yeah. Well, that's what I don't want. So I think they're settling Morgan in and that's, this is the show acknowledging that they haven't been able to do that before now. But it also acknowledges the fact that uh, my personal adage that consistency is the refuge of the weak-minded, right? I suppose, yeah. you don't, you know, people try very, very hard to be consistent. And I don't think that's absolutely necessary. I'm not consistent. I know being consistent is a recipe for failure because nobody can be consistent. It's true. You you can, you know, if if you're willing to, do different things and try different things, you may be more successful in life. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, uh it's, it's chaos theory, right? You, mm-hmm. Or pandemonium. It's, uh, you know, small little, uh, inputs can change the output drastically. So consistently, uh, to be consistent, you have to ignore all the inputs and just to have the outputs be the same no matter what. And that's just crazy. Just nuts. That's nuts. It's not taking anything into account. It's just, I'm going to do this regardless of the circumstances mm-hmm. is a way to get killed, first of all. Uh, and anyway. Yeah. We'll, we'll move on. I, you know, yeah, we can move on. Morgan, though, I think is going to be this Morgan for a while. All right. So real quick, uh, Al at one point encounters a walker in this episode that has been embalmed and preserved. This is one of the creepiest walkers the show's ever done, Jason. It was pretty, uh, I agree with you. And the fact that she had to rip her stitches to open her mouth was pretty nasty. It was gross. uh, But the fact that this lady kind of looked still alive, but was a zombie. (laughs) Because she was embalmed. I know. made up with the dead person makeup. What do you call that? I don't know. Dead person makeup. But it was creepy. And... Ooh, I didn't like it, but I also, at the same time, I loved it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess uh, if you're embalmed, you can still be a zombie, you know? You don't need blood when you're a zombie. Nope, you do not. You don't need your organs. You could be a mummy and a zombie all at the same time. Yeah. So, I guess that's maybe just a mummy. Just a mummy, but <laughs> I wanted to call it out because I thought it was really creepy and something new for the show, you know? It, it was pretty nuts. And this also kind of highlights the, uh, like, when she attacked 
when she attacked Al, Al was nowhere near a weapon, right? Right. Always keep your weapon within arm's reach because if you need it and it's not within arm's reach, might as well be on the moon. Might as well. Yeah. And Al did go for the weapon rather than trying to knock the zombie back first, which I noticed. And I thought, you know what? In that situation, body check that thing down, then grab your weapon if you can. Don't try to ignore it and go for the bag or the weapon first. Yeah. I would assume that embalmed people don't have a very high dexterity. So you could probably knock them down pretty easily. Probably. Yeah. But anyways, creepy zombie. Uh, at one point in the episode, Dwight is sort of um, explaining his, what he calls his escape hatch to get out of situations or get out of a community that he's not allowed to leave. And he describes to Al about basically faking his own death with a walker, finding one that looks kind of like you messing up its face. And then someone else says, oh, you know, he didn't make it. He's dead. Yeah. Um, and he suggests Al do this with Isabel once they're talking about her and, uh, and, and Al potentially running away with her, I guess. Um, I just thought it was an interesting concept, a neat, neat idea that, I don't know, I wouldn't be too surprised if it came up again sometime on the show. Well, it's a pretty standard fare for uh, movies and TV. Fake your right? own death and fake your own and on. real life, probably right. It's like, oh, we need to fake. Uh, we need to fake a death. Well, I got a contact at the morgue, and you go and talk to the guy at the morgue. It's like I need somebody about five foot eight, weighs, uh, you know, one hundred and eighty pounds. Uh, you know, has a beard, kind of thing. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I describe you? <laughs> well, I'm a little more than one eighty, but yeah, well, I have yeah, a beard. Well, <laughs> I, I I look at you in a favorable light, but uh, yeah, if I need a cadaver that looks like Chris, you know, I got a contact at the morgue and I was like, you know what? I need a, a Chris lookalike dead body and you use, and then you smash all his teeth and you cut off his fingers and then you, you throw him in a ditch and then you find him and you go, oh shit, that's Chris. He's dead. And meanwhile, you're living in Cancun or wherever you want to go. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can count, uh, you know, there's so many movies that do exactly this all the time. Yeah. So it's, uh. It's probably something that Ginny uh, is aware of. Uh, you know, it's pretty easy to find a dead body in the zombie apocalypse. That's Sorry. A very but, good point, yeah. So, and at least John Dory, who we find out not in this episode, but in the next next episode, it'd probably be in his wheelhouse to figure that shit out pretty quick. Indeed, I think. I think, which we will get to. Uh, all right. So, you know, overall... I guess the only other sort of notable point I have for this episode is that Al and Dwight repeatedly tell Nora, Nora's the woman that's been living in this uh, office building, they repeatedly tell her that the place they're from, you know, which is Virginia's uh, community, is not somewhere that they these people want to go. So not a nice place to be, not welcoming, don't come. It tells us a lot about what, Dwight now think of Ginny and what she's got going on. Yeah. And can you imagine being stuck at the office for 10 years? Oh, I know. It seems almost crazy <laughs> that those people have been there for that long. But Well, you know. it was just so disheartening. It was like, I thought I was here a lot before. And now I've been here for 10 years <laughs> and I haven't even gone out for a smoke. I felt like I worked too much before. Yeah. <laughs> God, okay. hell. So in terms of Greater Walking Dead universe on this show, it, it really all revolves around the helicopter and CRM and so on. So as I said, Al's been secretly using these missions with Dwight to track and gather information on Isabel. And I guess indirectly the CRM, she's listening to the radio chatter. The 
first message we hear as the audience is that the uh, Isabel and, and the helicopter are waiting out some weather and then they're going to drop site Baker. So drop site Baker is, is the top of that building. Yep. Um, I did think, I wondered if it was a coincidence that they mentioned they were waiting out the weather and that there was a storm on the world beyond on the same week. You know, I, I don't think these people are supposed to be really that close to each other in any way. They're not, of course, because World Beyond, they're outside Omaha and in fear they're in Texas. But I don't know, storms can be pretty big. Is it the same storm, do you think? No. No, but neither. I think it was just kind of a weird Easter egg. I think so too. Um, so the phrase, the end is the beginning, shows up in this episode again. It's spray painted on the building that serves as a back drop or that serves as the drop site baker, um, clearly connected to the submarine guys. Cause that's what they sprayed on the side of the sub. And Al theorizes that whoever painted the message purposefully introduced the plague to these people via the rats. That's yeah. That. And where the hell do you get the plague if you want to introduce it into a community? I don't know. Do you just find rats and, and find one with the plague? The- well, that would be a very, very bad thing if there were rats out and about with the fucking plague, right? Uh, I think yeah. that would be bad for not, society not in general. Yeah. So, I don't know. And then there's that uh, whatever, Ciprin, whatever that drug they needed in order to cure the plague. Yep. Like, there was like a big box of it, like a big fucking box of it in the, uh, in the cache and, uh, the helicopter people, the CRM didn't say, it's like, don't come here. It was the plague. We had, there's the plague here or something. And they didn't say, oh, we got a whole bunch of gear for that coincidentally in that box. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll be fine. And then they shoot Al, uh, and then land and then they can cure the plague. So what the hell are they worried about? Um, yeah, it's all very confusing, right? You, you have people with the plague you have the medicine that's right there. You have the CRM coming, presumably knowing what's there, what's in that cache. And then you have the plague being purposefully introduced by other guys. It is all a little bit strange. <laughs> so are they having a plague war with these other guys? The end is the beginning? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, were, were those guys trying to introduce the plague to the CRM and not to the people in the building? You know? But maybe why are they caching their medicine right there? Again, is that just a coincidence? Yeah. Some of this doesn't add up entirely. You're absolutely well, right. Well, we needed the added drama of uh, what's his name getting infected because they mentioned he had a rat in his sleeping bag the other day. And then all of a sudden he's got symptoms and it's like, oh, no, he's going to. Oh, there's a cure right there. Okay, well, well right. that's another good point. Dwight gets it. And it's not from the rats in the building because he wasn't exposed long enough. They presume, or they theorize it was from the rat a few days ago in his sleeping bag. So rats are running around all over the place with the plague, not just in this building, you know? Yeah. Well, and to be fair, I don't know how the plague started. Maybe rats were eating dead bodies and that's how the plague started. And then now that rats are eating dead bodies, it's, you know, ripe for allowing the plague to start again. Right. So, and it was in Europe too, with the plague was in Europe, not in North America. So I don't know. It seems awfully weird that, uh, you know, there's plague rats. It's, you know, plague zombies, character gets the plague. There's a cure readily available to cure, uh, everybody, NPCs, as well as our intrepid heroes. 
all in one fell swoop. It's a it's yeah. a non-issue. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, would the episode did the episode need those people and the plague storyline? Like, it, it, is it going to come up again later in the season? I have a feeling it might. But could they have done this episode without all those people and just made it about Dwight now trying to get to the roof and like, you know, overcoming obstacles as they go up and also, you know, talking as they go up? Because a lot of their conversations I thought in this, this episode were great. So I don't know, could, would the episode have worked without all the plague stuff? Maybe. Oh, yeah, but you need an A and a B plot line, right? You, you can't do. just have one plot line because that gets boring real quick. Yeah, you could be right. Yeah. The the other thing too is the at first we're led to believe that you know the CRM people are just terrible and ruthless because as we mentioned before they shoot a dude and throw him off the roof. But then when Al's up there, she warns the helicopter not to land due to the plague. They take her advice and they come off as quite reasonable because they say there's some beer in there, have one, you know, good luck, all the best, thanks for the warning, and they move on and they mention drop site Delta, so they have another drop site called Delta, but we're getting conflicting reports on sort of the quality of these CRM people. Yeah. Which, which yeah. I think is interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're trying to talk to them, they shoot you. But if you try and warn them about the plague, you're good. I guess it all depends on whether or not you're part of the main cast. Well, or I guess what your intentions are. Maybe that guy <sighs> who went up there to meet them was aggressive and kind of a dick. So they shot him and threw him off the roof. <laughs> hey, you guys got a helicopter? Can I see your helicopter? I'm going to go take a look inside the helicopter. It's got lots of nice helicopter things. Can I see your helicopter? I would shoot him too. Right? <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, obviously the biggest thing in this episode was the very end when Dwight hears Sherry on the radio again, runs downstairs, runs outside, and there she is standing in the alley. They are reunited Finally, after many seasons of multiple TV shows and thousands of kilometers traveled, they are reunited in Texas in an alley. And I thought it was a really nice final scene to the episode. I genuinely felt good for the two of them. Uh, I did as well. And it's nice to, to you know, think that even someone who you think is lost forever uh, can be found again. Can be found again. I really liked it. So congratulations to Dwight and Sherry for getting back together. Uh, I can't wait to see more of them together on the show. And they just kissed right away. I mean, he didn't even ask her if she remarried or anything. No, he just went for it. He just went for it. It's just like, hey, you know, get reacquainted. It's been a while. You know, don't just, you know, assume. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess, but they are a married <laughs> couple. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, sort of. I mean, didn't she just kind of run off? That, yeah, she did. But she, she, she left them. Shut up. I felt good for them. I'm happy they're together again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I, it's all good and everything. It's just, you know, have a conversation first. Get reacquainted. Uh, get consent. That's maybe, all I'm saying. Maybe at least a hello. Yeah. You know? Hi. Welcome yeah. back. Uh, all right. Adam in Texas wrote, call me crazy, but did anyone else think it was weird? The lady who claimed to have been in the same building since the outbreak was still in her office clothes? In clean office clothes 10 years after this started? I think their understanding of their own timeline gets soft around the edges. Seems like she should be a season two character. That <laughs> uh, could be. It depends on what they were doing in this office building. If they were, uh, if they were working on time dilation stuff, then uh, it makes perfect sense. Then she might be a season two character. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's only been like six months for her. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe the maybe the office building is traveling a lot faster 
than everybody else. Because as, as you know, Chris, that uh, in physics, if you go as close to the speed of light as you can, uh, time slows down for you. Indeed it does. So, I know that. Yeah. So I'm assuming, you know, the people that, the, the people that spend a lot of time in the International Space Station get like a half a second. They're half a second younger than the rest of us because they've been traveling so fast for so long. Maybe, maybe it's only like a hundredth of a second. I don't know. But either way, time dilation, time dilation is actually a thing. So maybe this office building is traveling a lot faster than everybody else. Well, congratulations to those astronauts and everyone in this office building. They haven't had to suffer through this for as long. Yeah, good for them. Okay, I have a call from Shane. Hey guys, just watched the episode three for Fear the Walking Dead. And did they just heavily imply that Al is Aaron's sister from the main show? She's collecting um, licenses while Aaron was collecting license plates. And then she later mentions that her brother and her used to play a game, but he was into the license plates. So I'm just thinking they really heavily implied that she's the sister of Aaron. Anyway, just wanted to know what you thought. Great show. Can't wait for the next episode. This is Shane from the UK. Bye. Thank you, Shane. So listen, Jason, if Al and... um. Uh, what's his face? Aaron. 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 <laughs> if Alan and Aaron aren't, weren't siblings before, I have a feeling they are now because this is a great theory. Like you have one character collecting license plates and then you get another character say, oh, I used to do that with my brother with license plates. You know, I mean, that's, that, is that a coincidence? It's pretty common to collect license plates. It's not as common to kill people and take their licenses, their license yeah, cards. Yeah, no Lic one's driving around cars anymore, so you adapt the game, right? And she even brought it up. I didn't think of it while watching, but I think Shane might be onto something. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I don't, I don't want that to happen. I think that's a little too cheap, like to make all these connections. Uh, but whatever, sure. Aaron's her sister, his brother. No, her brother. <laughs> yes. Fucking pronouns are hard. Interesting theory. And, uh, you know, maybe it'll never come up again. Maybe it's totally true. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Should we move on to Fear the Walking Dead season six, episode four, titled The Key? Yes, sir. Okay. So this one is John Dory. Yay. Waiting for John to come back. We haven't seen him yet this season. And essentially, this episode is a murder mystery with a police drama angle. John Dory is investigating the mysterious death of Cameron, another gate watchman. And parts of it really felt like a real cop investigation show to me. Uh, yeah, and it was awesome. And I liked it a lot. So I thought it was a good episode. You thought this was a good episode? I did think this was a good episode. I really like John Dory and anything he's in uh, has rose-colored tint to it. He was amazing. I thought he made every line sound awesome. And I don't think this guy, Garrett Dillahunt, is ever bad. Like he's just always good. It seems like even on bad episodes of fear, he comes out pretty well. And he's pretty much the best thing about every show I've ever seen him in. Well, that's amazing and high praise. And this is the only show I've ever seen him in. And I agree with that. But look, look, Jason, we're in fear. The walking dead is now three in one in season six. And, and in fact, a lot of people liked episode two and would say the show is four and oh. So what the hell's going on? Like, I don't know. And I hated Ginny even a little bit less in this episode. Maybe because every time she was on screen, so was uh, Gert Dillahunt. So, mm -hmm. uh, he elevates everyone around him. He does. He makes everybody better. So I don't know. High praise. Well, 
the plot here is that Janice, who we did see in episode two as well, she was in a relationship with Cameron. Cameron is killed. It's mysterious. She denies any involvement, but then eventually admits to the murder and is executed for the crime. So poor Janice is, is dead. She's executed in a pretty horrible way. She's tied why up outside. Why would they do that? Why would they just string her up, man? Come on. Tied like, up outside. Why? Tied up outside with music going and then being devoured by fucking zombies. Yep. Like, Jesus. It's, it's rough, man. Uh, it, it is bad. But break it out. Break it down for me because her confession to me felt like it was off a little bit. In a way, it, we, she was framed or she was coerced into confessing. Maybe I missed something, but, you know, initially she denied it. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like she just kind of f- decided she had nothing left to live for and was like, what the hell, I'll just confess and take my punishment. Is that is that what it was or was something else going on here? Because we also have the bit where Dakota tells John Dory that my sister is trying trying to protect someone. Yeah, there's something else going on here. Obviously, she gave bad information about how he was killed, right? So John Dory uh, figured out that his throat was slashed, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's how he died. But then she says that she pushed him into the uh, into the fence and the zombies got him. So obviously, she is just saying what uh, her con- confessors? Con- confessor? No, accusers. Accusers. Yeah, she's a confessor. Yeah. Are you sure? Anyway, uh, <laughs> she's only saying what they want to hear. So obviously she didn't actually do it, but she's admitting to it anyway. I'm not sure why. Well, uh, I mean, she was trying to escape with Cameron, right? They were taking supplies out and I guess leaving them somewhere. They were also incidentally delivering um, letters between John and June, who is somewhere else. He's not. She's not here in Lawton with him. Yeah. So they were helping him out with the letter delivery. Um, but anyways, Janice and Cameron were trying to get, get away together and then it wasn't going to happen. Cameron may have changed his mind, but, um, once he was dead, she was like, what else have I got going on? So I like, it could have been just that, but it felt strange for her to deny it and then, and then immediately flip flop. And, and take it. Yeah. And then Strand was involved in making, moving up her execution, right? So she couldn't get away. So Strand has a vested interest in her dying for some reason. Well, and I yeah. don't buy that it's the fact that uh, John Dory would be on the run from Ginny. I don't buy that at all. Well, that's what they said in the episode that Strand told um, Ginny that Janice was a flight risk and therefore she moved up the execution, which meant that. John, who was planning on breaking her out and going with her, wouldn't be able to do that and therefore would be safe, basically. So Strand thought he was helping John uh, by doing that. I don't buy it. I think Strand is trying to uh, hide his something on his end uh, by having her dead. She knows something about him that he's trying to hide. Well, could be. Could be. I mean, Strand essentially works for himself, right? So, yeah, you know, that's that. Um, I also thought it was nice to see the rabbi in this one. He had a significant role in this episode. I'd, I'd completely forgotten about that character, to be honest with you. I forgot he existed as well. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's that guy from House. I like that guy. Yeah. Well, he, he was good. I'm glad, I was glad to see him back. I thought he played an important role. Um, 
I guess the only real dumb part of this episode that I didn't like was when John goes to dig up Cameron's body to investigate it because he didn't get a chance to. He goes into the grave and then two walkers come out of nowhere and just fall in on top of him and he has to fight them off. And I'm thinking to myself, where did they come from? Like, the, the graveyard is inside the walls, right? And so why are there walkers uh, just walking know. around? Why would they put the, I don't know if it was inside the walls. That's is the that... only thing I can think of, that it's outside the walls and therefore there is a danger of walkers stumbling around. But it felt to me like the show going, all right, we need one scene with dangerous zombies in this. So let's just do it here while he's digging up a grave because that's a good place for it. But I question it. I don't know. There's just such a thing as random encounters, right? Sometimes the dice roll does not go in your favor, right? So you're sitting there, you're walking through the woods, uh, you roll the dice every once in a while to see if there's a random encounter, and sometimes a couple of zombies show up. Sometimes it's cobalt. You never know. I guess if you're just walking around the woods, but he was in the, like, town graveyard, which... I don't know. ...could be outside, but I was not clear where it was. Now, to be to be fair, every time I've dug up a grave... Uh, nobody showed up, right? It right. was all by myself and I, you know, I had the whole graveyard to myself, but it very well could be that I could be, you know, a couple of zombies could have walked by or maybe a pack of wild dogs. I don't know, but, uh, so far I've been lucky. Good. Well, you have been lucky, I guess, but, uh, you should probably stop digging up graves. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> Unless it's absolutely <laughs> necessary. <laughs> well, it's getting cold outside and the ground is getting harder, you know, that kind of thing. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> to wait for spring. What about what about John Dory's rotten tooth? Do you think there was any significance to that in this episode? Really, the only thing I could think of, and I actually quite like this theory, is that it was an analogy to something being rotten and rotten. You know, his right. <laughs> his his mouth had one bad tooth that he had to pull out with pliers at the end. Oh my god, I hated watching that. That was so super gross. I fast forwarded. Yeah, I watched through my fingers with my eyes squinted. It was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's something rotten in John's mouth and there's something rotten in Lawton. That's uh that's what I yeah, think. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Yeah. I just thought it was, you know, extra color, but uh, <laughs> it could very well be that uh, you know, it's it's an analogy for their community. Everything means something. Uh so, John is living in Lawton. That's the town where Alicia and Strand were before they were sent over to the molasses, molasses factory. Uh, just notable. He's been sending letters to June, wherever the hell she is. And as I said, Janice was sneaking them out and delivering them. Uh, we do um, get some Morgan in this episode again. So we, we are continually checking in with Morgan. This time we see him picking up supplies left by Daniel somewhere. So now we kind of know that Daniel is leaving these things for him. Uh, there's a note that's signed DS, Daniel's initials. And this time it's a shirt worn by Grace. So Daniel knows that Morgan is looking for Grace and he gives her a shirt that is supposed, he gives him a shirt that's supposed to smell like her. And then Morgan's using Emil's dog to try and track down Grace. <laughs> what is, he's a bloodhound. That's what he does. Fantastic dog. I love that dog. Uh, what he's doing is he's driving back to humbug's gulch i guess the last place grace was and he's going to try to use the shirt and have the dog track her down um other than that though he seems to be slowly cultivating contact with with different people so that's what right. morgan is doing um at the end 
Uh, what happens? So at the end, Morgan is in this car crash. He is driving on his way. The two submarine guys smash into him in a car. It's not really clear to me whether it's an accident or not. Well, obviously not, right? They're looking for the key. They know what the guy's truck looks like. Uh, they said, hey, there's that fucker. And they need, let's get him. Right. They drove into him. But it doesn't go so well for them because Morgan is not badly injured. They don't seem to be in great shape and he manages to kill them both. Yeah. Cause he has an ax. He's got his poker ax. That's right. Yeah. Um, they, you're right. They admit that they were looking for Emil, the bounty hunter and specifically the key. They claim to have no idea who Virginia is. I don't know if that's true or not but they claim that either way they're dead now. And um, Morgan sort of realizes that the key he's wearing around his neck might be rather important. And he wonders what the hell it unlocks. Yeah. Well, they couldn't have these two guys still alive because if they told Morgan, Morgan, they'd have to tell us the audience, right? <laughs> right? They can't have us know. So now Morgan knows that it's a mystery that has to be solved and it's going to take the whole season to solve this fucking thing. It's going to, but you know what? So far, so good. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's basically a, it's, it's the hatch. Oh my God. What's inside the hatch. I <laughs> always keep dragging this thing back to lost. Uh, essentially it's the, it's the big mystery. It's just like, oh my God, this so this the season finale or even the mid season finale is going to be, <gasps> he found a key or a lock to put it in. What's it going to be in there? I don't know. Could it be the nuclear codes? I don't know. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> well. We're going to have to see what's going on there. But the point is we've gotten, you know, a little bit of Morgan in every episode that's just very slowly opening up the world a little bit here as to what's going on. I'm a bit surprised that both of those submarine guys are dead, though, because now we have no human connection back to that sub, um, which I'm surprised at. You know, the sub has to be reintrodu reintroduced somehow to one of our characters and, and explained. Yeah. And I guess the only other thing that uh, I think was notable that happened in this episode really is that in the end, John is given a new sort of level of access to the community by giving, by getting a key from Ginny. And um, she says for his dogged pursuit of the truth, for kind of like doing his job as a police officer. So he now is higher up, you know, afforded certain privileges, one of which is that Ginny brings June back for him and they, they can be reunited and live together again. So yeah. Another well, why reunion. Why wouldn't he get uh, June to take out the tooth? Wouldn't she be like infinitely more qualified than uh, him standing in front of a mirror with a pair of fucking pliers? Well, she does do medicine stuff. You're right. Maybe, but it's not as gross to watch someone else do it, I guess. I don't know. No, but it makes a lot more sense to me. It's like, Jesus, I'm glad you're back. You need to pull this goddamn tooth. <laughs> I got this it's problem. be nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I was happy to see them back together too, you know? Yeah, it's very couple good. couple reunions here that that make you feel good. The only other thing uh that I think is of note is that uh, true to our prediction from last time, uh Dakota is a source of inform inside information for our intrepid heroes. She, I think that will continue. I think you are absolutely right, but it's weak because what does she tell John? She's protecting someone who I don't know. <laughs> well, it's the same as last episode. It's just, she doesn't have uh, any, it's like, oh, there's a weapon in there. What is it? I don't know. It's like, fuck. Yeah. What, 
are you furthering the plot or are you just adding useless information? It's useless information is what it is. Sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah, pretty it's, much. It's annoying. <laughs> For sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Dakota hasn't really done anything useful yet, but she's always around to give sort of a half bit of detail that means nothing to anybody. Right. Uh, Strand does mention that he's on the Intersettlement Council. So there's some sort of council slash government that oversees all of Ginny's settlements. Thought that was interesting. Yep. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. And then him and uh, Strand and, and um, uh, John having their fight coming to blows, I thought was a pretty good fist fight scene. I, those guys looked like they took a couple punches each and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that John Dory would have just shot him. He's a quick draw. He's a, you know, he's got the skills. He would have just, well, he would have just shot him. I don't know. If that, he wanted him dead. If he wanted him dead, yes. I don't think he wanted him dead at that point. When he shot those zombies that were eating Janice, like he barely, he could have done that with, with his eyes closed. He barely even looked at them and just bang, 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 headshot, 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 yeah. you know? See that, I believe. And, you know, talking about the first season of The Walking Dead, one of the biggest issues we had was that every shot was a headshot. Right. Remember that? I do. This guy, I believe that every shot is going to be a headshot. Because he has the skills. And one thing about John Dory, I can't go on about him enough, but uh, at the beginning when he was uh, checking out his uh, his heavy irons uh, every morning and then going to his post, uh-huh. he had one pistol with the uh, the handle facing back and the other one had, uh, the other pistol was the handle facing forward. Did you notice that? No. Do you know why that would be? Is it for reaching across your body to take them out or shooting forward and backwards or something? I don't know. So it's for when you're sitting down. So the one on the right was oh. for uh, if he needed the gun when he was standing up and he'd be able to shoot. Uh, the other one was for when he's sitting down. It's hard to reach beside like the same side you're on to pull that gun out. It's a lot easier to cross reach and pull out a pistol while you're sitting down. And part of his job was sitting at his post. So he mm-hmm. had one for walking around and one for sitting down. And I thought that was awesome. That. Is amazing. I love that kind of stuff. John Dory, best character on the show right now. Absolutely. Be- love yeah. it. Best character on TV. Well, I don't know if I'm that far. I'd have to think about it, but right now that's how I feel. Pretty close. All right. Yep. Cool. So look at that. Fear the Walking Dead. We're all caught up, and now we've had three out of four good episodes. Season six is back, baby. Yep. The show is happening. It, uh, it's on a roll. All right. We are going to take a very quick break, and when we come back... We're going to start looking at The Walking Dead, World Beyond. Stay tuned. Looking out a dirty old window Down below the cars in the city go rushing by I sit here alone and I wonder why Friday night and everyone's moving I can feel the heat but it's soothing heading down I search for the Welcome back, everyone. Before we get into The Walking Dead World Beyond, I just want to take a moment to thank a couple of people that have recently supported the podcast. Uh, The first one is Viv F., who made a very generous donation through PayPal. 
And I actually have a quick call here from Viv, who doesn't ref reference her donation, but, you know, has something to say. So let's play that. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Viv from Perth in Australia. I just listened to your latest podcast. As usual, it was very engaging. I particularly enjoyed your discussion about the first season of The Boys. Can I please request that you do a follow-up podcast devoted solely to the second season, which I'm currently watching and really enjoying? It really is one of my favourite shows of all time. I know that's a big call, but anyway, I've made it. On the subject of the Walking Dead universe shows, Fear and the World Beyond, I'm so torn. I keep watching them because I am a Walking Dead universe tragic, but they are so hit and miss that I'm on the verge of giving them up. They really could do with a little Angela Kang magic. For the moment, I'll just have to do with enjoying your insights to help me get through them. Keep at it. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much, Viv, for that message and for the donation on PayPal. You know, Jason, I think we could handle doing an episode at some point down the road on season two of The Boys. I think so. I think that'd be great. I'd have to finish that season, but that's okay. You will have to do that. But Viv and everyone else who's interested, stay tuned for that sometime after Fear and World Beyond wrap up their current seasons. We also got a donation through PayPal from Jocelyn H. Thank you so much, Jocelyn. And Jocelyn wrote, Happy 500. You two have been such a comfort and consistent part of my life for so many years. I can't thank you enough. Aw, Jocelyn, that's very kind of you. Yeah. Um, it's wonderful that you feel that way. And uh, thank you so much for contributing. If you would like to join the club, you can uh, make a donation via PayPal by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash PayPal, or you can become a patron of the show on Patreon, and that link is patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. We really appreciate everyone who contributes and everyone who listens. Thank you so much. Uh, a great way to help support the show for no money at all is by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a review or a star rating. Every little bit there helps as well. Thanks so much to everyone for doing that and uh, contributing. All right, let's move on into our discussion of The Walking Dead World Beyond, episode four. This one is called The Wrong End of a Telescope. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny title. I don't know why. Every kid in the world has at some point looked through the wrong end of a telescope just to see what it looks like. And uh, so it's relatable, I guess. Yeah, that's, you know, in case you need some, something that looks a lot farther away than it actually is, that's uh, that's how you, you would do that. That's how you do it. That's right. So in this episode, our group takes refuge in an abandoned high school when a rainstorm strikes. So this is the storm I was referring to earlier. I thought maybe it was the same storm, but probably not. They split up to search the place for supplies. We get uh, Iris and Silas going off, and they have a dance scene in the gym of the school. We have Hope and Huck together. They encounter a wolf that ends up being no threat at all. Uh, and we have Felix and Elton, who just kind of search for water jugs and then rescue the rest of them at the end when they get stuck in the basement. And that's the episode. And let's move on. No, uh, you know... <laughs> Felix and Huck spend a lot of the conversation trying to manipulate the team into turning around. 
you know, we know that's kind of what they want to do. And that was pretty much it. I, you know, I didn't think uh, there was a lot to go on here. Sadly, I think World Beyond is getting worse, not better. And yeah. I'm kind of bummed about that. Even though watching I, this show feels like homework, I know it feels like homework. I don't like it. Don't make me watch this show anymore. <laughs> well, you've said that every week, <laughs> and I feel bad for you. But that's why we're not going to get bogged down in the in the plot details here. Um, you know, there's there's just because it's just not that interesting. It's there's not anything going on here that I feel is kind of worthy of a Walking Dead show, and that's sad. I think they're trying to be Friday Night Lights, but they're not because they has that Friday Night Lights esque kind of music every once in a while. Uh, you know, Friday Night Lights was an awesome fucking show. It was amazing, and it had a lot more uh, heart than this show has. And I think this show is trying to be that for some reason, but I don't know why. Uh, well, and they're failing. I mean, it's a it's a it's a successful formula, Friday Night Lights, but you're right. They're not, they're not pulling it off here. I do have some notable things to go through, though. We do flashback to a scene between Iris and her father when he's sort of, before he's left, he's getting ready to go. We learn there that both Hope and Iris are adopted. I, I don't right. know if that's important to the greater story, but it's, I thought, a notable thing we learned. Um, he also kind of seems more interested in his work at, at the at first, anyways, than being a father to her. But he eventually kind of comes around and admits that he loves her and all these sorts of things. Um, but anyways, I mean, that's that. Uh, Iris tells Silas when they're in the gym that she has, quote-unquote, stuff to make up for, but she doesn't elaborate. So this is The Walking Dead. Who hasn't done things they, you know, question or, or, question or you know, have to repent for? Everybody. Ah. Everybody has that. Everybody. I mean, who, who doesn't have shit they've done in the past that's just like, ah, man, I should do better. Yeah, exactly. Silas, he gets his first zombie kill with his giant sharpened wrench in this one. So now three out of the four kids have a good zombie kill. However, it's kind of, the moment is kind of ruined because immediately following that, he throws his weapon away and jumps on a zombie to bare hand punch it in the face multiple times. It's kind of uh -huh. dumb. Well, stupid. I mean, it's not the greatest idea in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think it's a terrible idea when you're holding okay. that awesome weapon. Let me ask you a question. Please. If you get bit by a zombie, you die and you become a zombie, mm -hmm. right? That's yes. part of the, you know, it's one of the staples of this show. That's how it works. Now, if my hand gets bitten by a zombie, that counts as a bite, right? Indeed. What if I punch a zombie in the mouth and cut my hand on his teeth? I think that counts. You think that counts? I think it counts. Okay. I don't think it's going to count in, in this case, but I would be careful of such a thing. I agree. If I were somebody punching a zombie in the face. I agree. That's why I think this is dumb. I mean, you have a weapon. You don't lose your cool and jump on top of one and repeatedly punch him in the teeth. Doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. Right? This doesn't make yeah. sense. Um. I think the show also goes on to indicate that Silas might have killed his own father. So we see those flashbacks to him having beaten someone up, you know, in his past. 
and there's an ambulance. Right. And uh, yeah, I I don't know if the show has been totally clear on what's going on there yet, but I think Silas might have killed his own father because they say here that his mother testified against him too. Right. So you have to assume there was a trial, you know, all that kind of stuff. And his own mother like testified against him. So I, I don't know what's going on there, but I guess they're revealing things about Silas slowly. Yeah. I mean, it's probably pretty obvious what, if if that's the case, what is going on. Abusive father, son attacks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the mother still feels that it was unjustified, even though it probably was yep. uh, the murder so, or the killing. I don't know if it's classified as a murder, if he walked away from it, but whatever. So it's probably, I hope it's not that predictable. Yeah. Well, I think it might be. Um, one thing I thought was kind of cool, the final scene before the closing credits of this episode before the credits was Elton taking a picture of the gang. And as dumb as I think him walking around taking pictures of everything is because how the fuck is he developing these? Like, and it's film. Like he's whining the film after the picture. It's not a fucking digital camera. It's film. That's what I'm saying. It's film. Um, film goes bad after a while. You can't just take 10 year old film and throw it in a camera and expect it to work. And what's the point? Too, I think, but th- what I thought was neat is the picture is good. Like, I think all the actors nailed the facial expressions in the photo really well. It really portrays their current mentality. Like, go back and look at it. You know, it's, I think they all did a really good job portraying their characters in a still photo. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and believe you because I don't want to do any more homework. C- kudos to them for that. <laughs> okay, Walking Dead universe impact of this episode during the opening scene right before they get to the school they're talking about the civic republic they of course tell us that their research facilities in new york that's where they're going but they say that it may not be the same place as the rest of the colony where their dad is so that's interesting i thought uh they refer to the civic civic republic as the hidden city you know kind of a fun name for the place there you go. Which is why they have helicopters, uh, why they're using helicopters to get to and fro, because if they used roads, they would beat a path to their front door, essentially. There By you go. By not using roads and letting everything overgrow, it's harder to find them. Harder to find them. Perfect. Except that they have electricity and industry and stuff. All you have to do is stand around and wait for the sun to go down. It's like, oh, look, a giant glowing fucking spot over there. Bet you that's a city. Yeah, well, I don't know. Elton says that they refine their own fuel. They grow cops, crops. <laughs> they don't go. Well, they probably cops. well, they might grow cops. Maybe I don't. They, know. You need police. That's so. true. And they just don't grow on trees. You got to cultivate them. No, uh, no, squirrels grow on trees, but not police. That's right. Elton thinks though that if they have all this stuff, it's smart to stay hidden because people are going to want it. Uh, and they mentioned that Omaha and Portland trade with them. We sort of already knew that. And they have protection agreements, <laughs> which I guess don't extend to campus colonies because they murdered 9,000 people or whatever. Uh, protection agreements. I mean, uh, there's lots of uh, street thugs that go around offering protection to uh, small businesses. Very good point. Yeah. You know, and those that protection is protection from other people, not protection from them. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Other street thugs. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Now, it's protection from them as long as you're paying, right? It's like, ah, no, I'm going to protect you. Nobody's going to beat you up if you give me the money. That's right. right? I will protect you. Protection through intimidation. Yes. Extortion. Is that what that's called? Or that, yeah. So, 
Dr. Leo, Iris and Hope's dad, during the flashback, mentions a place called the Center for Public Goals. Sounds like an interesting place. Don't know, uh, don't yeah, know what they okay. do there. Yeah, the Center for Public, you know, Publicity. Uh, yeah. Just, <laughs> the Center knows? for Public Goals. Like, this is where we decide what your goals as the public are going to be. Yeah, and, and out of there operates the Achievement Foundation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And then he also tells Hope that the Civic Republic doesn't allow any messages in or out. We kind of know that too. And that's why he invents the fax machine so that they can communicate <laughs> while he's gone, right? Yeah. Well, don't knock the fax machine. It's an invaluable tool for people in the 90s. And the zombie apocalypse, apparently. Well, it wasn't a fax machine, was it? It was more of a text messaging machine. Well, I don't know. It looked like a printer somehow that could print out messages that came from far, far away. I don't know how it's It sounds like a fax machine. It does sound like a fax machine, yeah. Well, it's... How would... You'd need a radio signal to do that, right? You can't just, you know... Or broadcast. telephone lines. You can't lines. thump on the ground and have it... Uh, have the other device pick up the thumping. Actually, that'd probably be pretty cool. Well, uh, either way. A seismograph, seismograph and have it uh, read binary code, like ASCII thumps. And then, uh, you know, 100,000 miles away or whatever you have, you have a thumper that uh, thumps out the message you want. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, except you have to trigger an earthquake every time you want to send a message. <laughs> just a small one, just a small one. You have a seismograph that's, uh, they're so sensitive they can detect people walking around. Okay, fair enough. Right? You invent that, so, become a billionaire. Well, I don't know about that, but I'd, I'd be too scared of, uh, you know, attracting giant worms like in Dune. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you put a thumper on, on the ground, I mean, <laughs> fucking sandworms are coming. You know that. Yeah, that's a good point, especially this year. Yeah, it's dangerous. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for the episode, except for a post-credits scene. We haven't had one of these in a while. After the credits roll, we come back to the episode, and we are with Dr. Lila Belshaw. She is a Civic Republic doctor somewhere doing experiments <laughs> on test subjects. And eating the worst fucking sandwich. Worst? Like, I thought it was a huge, great looking sandwich. Cut it in half, man. Oh, like, well. Seriously? I mean, that's that's a free, very all, a good way to make a sandwich a pile of food you need to eat with a fork, ultimately. Okay. I mean, cut the sandwich. The whole point of a sandwich is to make it convenient to eat with one hand, maybe two if you feel like being uh, very, very careful. But <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, I agree. Cut it in half, sure, but I still thought it looked like a pretty good sandwich. I mean, it was fresh bread. It had fresh lettuce. I mean, it was making a very big statement, and it also made her look like an asshole because, you know, she's doing experiments on dead people, uh, and what is she doing while she's doing these experiments? She's eating a delicious sandwich. So right? that, that's, that sandwich was loaded. It made her look like a privileged prick. But it told us that they have fresh bread, as you said, fresh le vegetables or lettuce to put on the sandwich. Like these and no knives. live <laughs> and no knives to cut in half. Yeah. But these people, if you are privileged, live in luxury. It seems yes, like. Yes. I'm telling you, there's a lot of information that can be, con that can be conveyed in a sandwich. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Anyways, she is working on test subjects. Currently... TSA-402. TSA-402 is a former colleague of hers by the name of Samuel Abbott of Portland, Oregon. And we know this because there's a photo on her desk that contains Sam Abbott, 
who's yep. the current test subject, herself, Dr. Leo Bennett, and some other guy. We don't know who the other guy is. Also notable about this photo is, did you notice how cozy and cuddly she was with Dr. Leo Bennett, Hope and Iris's father? He had his arm around her, and she's got his hand up touching his side, like kind of by his pec muscle tit? there. His tit? <laughs> yes, pectoral, maybe. Yeah. Um, so there, I'm thinking, is definitely more to this story in terms of their relationship. Yeah, and they also have cameras and film and uh, printing facilities of some kind so that you can print out a photograph and uh, put it in a frame. Well, there you go. So maybe Elton's going to show up and be like, guys, I just walked halfway across the country. Do you have a dark room? Where's your photo mat? <laughs> right. Right? Do you have a drive through photo mat and a car I can drive to drop off my film? Exactly. Remember those? Oh, those were good times, eh? Good, good times. So you can get you can get your you can get it overnight. Remember, you know yeah, it's like hey, you drop off your film. It's like shit. I need that tomorrow. It's like oh, you're gonna have to pay a premium for that. <laughs> and then it was one hour. <laughs> oh my god, one hour photo finishing. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, you you know you hand over your film and you know that guy is gonna be hop doing right away because to get that done in an hour it takes some time, color correction, mm -hmm. making sure all the chemicals are loaded. I knew a guy that worked at a photo store. Yeah. Anyway, he got fired. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> couldn't meet the hour deadline. Well, no, he kept bringing home like, uh, sorry, if you're listening, you know who you are and it's too late now because it happened in the nineties or the eighties even, uh, he would go home at, it, it was a photo store in the mall and he would go home, he would close and then take all the receipts and put it in the, uh, the lock bag and then bring it home and not drop it off at the bank and forget to do it the next day. And then forget to do it the next day. And then he would call the manager would call him and say, Hey, where the fuck's that bag with all the money in it? Oh shit, I forgot to drop it off. He did that one too many times and they fired him. Well, you know Justifiably what? Justifiably so. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, back to the episode. So uh Dr. Lila Belshaw is saying things like there are no detectable responses to psychological stimuli referring to her test subject. <laughs> On a dead person. She says they are going to test the necrotic fluid and plasma um, uh, immediately following reanimation that they drew from him, and that they're also going to do climate variation tests. So see how he responds to cold or hot or heavy wind or being thrown in a pool, you know, things like that. Yeah. Those are the kind of tests. We also see lots of other zombie test subjects standing and strapped into other cages. So they got a bunch of test subjects. Um, and that's what she's doing. Now, the thing we really have to talk about, other than the sandwich in this scene, is that people, and by people I mean the internet, generally think that this scene explains definitively the difference between an A and a B. The A and B people that Jadis slash Anne was trying to collect on the main show to provide to the Civic Republic. They think that the A in TSA402 actually refers to an A, and um, B means something else. So if A, A's apparently, are people who are alive but have been bitten but haven't died yet, those are A's. Those are the kind of people they're looking for to run tests on before they die. B's are normal living people, not bitten. So if you're collecting people for the Civic Republic, an A is a test subject or about to be a test subject, and a B is someone who will join the community and live there. 
So what was Rick? So Rick um, was a bee when he was uh, when he was actually taken away with uh, in the helicopter. But there, you know, the internet is basing this on Anne's attempts to have Rick, Negan, and Father Gabe taken because at various points she has all of them captive and she tries to have them bitten by a restrained walker like remember when Negan is strapped to the ground to that board and she has the walker on that thing that she like leans down into him the theory is she's trying to have that walker bite Negan then retract it and turn Negan into an A to provide to the Civic Republic same thing with Father Gabe and same thing with with Rick. And even at the end there, just before Rick flies away, she says, you know, I, was, I thought I had an A, but I don't. I have a B. So it all kind of makes sense to me, except for the fact that the whole thing hinges on the idea that the A in TSA-402 is the same A. It might be, but except I don't know if I'm 100% can, convinced yet. You can make as many A's as you want in that case. You have this whole uh, university town that you've slaughtered, this however many thousands of people that the CRM killed mm-hmm. uh, in the pilot episode of this show. Uh, those are all potential A's. You take five of them, you take 10 of them, you lock them up in a goddamn cage somewhere, and then you get a zombie to bite them. Right. You if don't you- need to go outsource somebody providing you a somebody who's been bitten. No, that's true. But maybe the CRM uses this as a bargaining thing, right? It's like when they encounter new people, maybe they're like, look, if you want, unless you want to become an A, find me some other A's, then you become a B and you can join the community, right? Like maybe that's how they, they work. Maybe that's how they get people to sort of, uh, prove their loyalty to them. Right. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me because you just, you, you round up a bunch of people you put them in a prison, that's fine, and then you send out the helicopters to collect zombies. And then, because if you're if you're trying, the only way I can think of this is if you're trying to get people to provide you with A's, people that have been bitten by zombies, the idea, the only thing that makes sense is that you need these people not all bitten by the same zombie. You need uh, a bunch of people bitten by a bunch of zombies. You need a, you know, scattershot of uh, whatever your test subjects are. So you need randomness in that. But you could also just send out the helicopters to go pick up zombies from around the fucking planet and uh, drag them over there. You don't even have to get out of your helicopter. You design this stupid thing to just kind of <laughs> lower down and clip off the head of a zombie. You don't even need the whole zombie. You just bring the head back. The head. All you need is the teeth, yeah. really. Because yeah. even if the zombies, you just hold the head and you could go, okay, I'm going to bite you with this head or you, uh, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you can you can do all this without having... Uh, communities outside of your uh, society providing you with previously bitten people. You make a compelling point that there would be a much easier way to do this for sure. And maybe they are doing that to a certain extent. I don't know. But to be honest with you, in the world of TV and how I understand that TV shows usually work, I have a feeling that this might be a thing. Like I have a feeling this might be the show's explanation for a and B. I just don't think in the zombie apocalypse, it's all that hard to make zombies. No, you're right. Especially when you have that kind of might and force, right? To keep people captive or capture zombies and then just hold them up against each other. Here you go. Make out for a minute. Oh, you're an A. 
So okay, I don't know about this A and B thing. I, I don't know if I buy into uh, what delineates an A and a B. I you very well could be uh, A and B are like when she says TSA, uh, whatever the number is. Uh, it is the type A, and maybe type B is something different. I just I'm not buying into the previously bitten already a zombie kind of thing, mm-hmm. or somebody who's somebody who's bitten versus somebody who can join the community. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that stuck out to me in this whole situation, other than the goddamn sandwich, was <laughs> the fact that people like these, these test subjects, which were awesomely slotted into these racks, I thought that, that was pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, that walking around these zombies were people in hazmat suits. That's true. Something else is going on. Like not just, they're not wearing, uh, prison armor. They're not wearing the regular armor from whatever stormtroopers that we've seen previously, uh, which I assume would have some kind of anti-bite protection, uh, but they're wearing legitimate hazmat suits. So there's something else in the room that they're testing, not just zombieism. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right, because you don't need that kind of protection around zombies that are just standing there strapped in, right? So yeah. they're... they're it, does make it seem like there's gas or something in there that that would be harmful to living people if they were to inhale it or be exposed to it. Interesting. And since the test subject that she's working on is actually a previous colleague or and or lover, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how that picture is interpreted, uh, he well, obviously succumbed. Wait a minute. She's not snuggling up to him in the picture. She's snuggling up to Leo. Uh, well, whatever. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like I said, it's open to interpretation. Anyway, I guess uh, she's trying to misdirect, right? Oh, to this guy, so she doesn't. So nobody knows that. Anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <sighs> what am I saying? Oh yeah, uh, since this is a previous colleague of hers, that uh, obviously not obviously, but maybe he has had succumbed to whatever toxic uh, airborne substances was in that lab and became a zombie and therefore a test subject. I don't think he was murdered in order to become a test subject. I think he was, uh, something happened that caused him to no longer be a human and was therefore viable for testing. Yeah, you you may be right. That's a good point. It's, I hadn't really thought about those full hazmat suits, but why would they be wearing them if there's not something else going on in there? Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I... I sort of understand your feeling of not being convinced by the A and the B, but I have a sneaky suspicion that this might be the explanation. So we'll find well, out. Well, I, I think that there is an A and a B. I don't think that's the, the A and the B oh, yeah. distinction is, is what uh, the internet thinks. It's not but. quite clear yet. Like had, had they mentioned B specifically in this scene too, then it would be more clear, but they didn't. So yeah, I don't know. We'll have to wait and find out. I, I just hazard to uh, try and understand what the internet is thinking at any given moment. <laughs> yeah, it can be tough. <laughs> yeah. All right, one more episode, The Walking Dead, World Beyond, episode five. It's called Madman Across the Water. This one um, sees our gang traveling. They get to the Mississippi River and they need to get across. So they decide to build a boat. <laughs> Out of yeah. uh, garbage hey. and an old air conditioner, apparently. <laughs> air and spit and string yep. and an air conditioner and nail polish. That's right. 
And meanwhile, they continue in fighting about going back versus not going back. That's going to be a thing until somebody decides that they just have to keep going and they stop talking about it. Or they go back and they find everybody's dead and they turn around and go back to the, where they went back from. Right. <laughs> back to the future. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Uh, this one's more about Elton and his back story. We see flashbacks of him having a nice time with his parents, but the night the sky falls, when the plane crashes, the NSF, that's when his father hides him in a box when they try to escape and keep him safe. But when Elton comes out, everybody's dead and he's all alone. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, we see young Elton get out of the box, find his dead father out in the hall, leave the university or, or wherever they were, and sort of go off on his merry way by himself as a young boy. Um, and clearly that scarred him deeply, affected him a lot, and, you know, that's, that's where he's at now. Yeah, and his plus one dinosaur claw. Don't forget that he has that. Oh, right. He was given the dinosaur claw, whatever it is, which now um, Iris has on the end of her stick. Yeah, which she used to cut a chain <laughs> yeah. on, a, on a gate. You poke that thing onto one person or wall or chain and it's falling off. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, 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 a, magic, it's a magic weapon. Yeah. It's a, it's a plus one or potentially even a plus two if it can just cut through a chain like that and butter. Just like, oh, I just cut through it. Well. Oh, okay, don't even roll. Yeah, it's dumb. <laughs> so most of the episode though is them bickering and building this boat. Uh, they actually try to build a functioning motor. It's not quite as dumb as in Fear Season 5 when they build a plane, but it's close. <laughs> I hadn't considered that, but yeah. It's close. It's, I mean, they build it out of an air conditioner and it's run on fucking nail polish. And then uh, like pouring something flammable into something that's already kind of on fire and they're surprised that it lights on fire even more like <laughs> oh it's it's brutal it's so brutal and not only that every shot of the river it looked perfectly calm and not that far across i don't claim to know what the big the currents are like in the mississippi river and how strong it is and deep it is and things like that but it looked like you could swim across that if you ask me uh mississippi i've never seen it in person. So I've only seen pictures of it on TV. Yeah. So I'm not sure I know either, but um, I think that the Mississippi itself, whether this this uh, TV show was showing the actual Mississippi, I s somehow have a doubt, but the Mississippi itself is pretty friggin' wide. It's a big goddamn river. Oh, so yeah. whether it's fast or slow or what, you're not swimming. Well, I get that, that it's pretty wide, but I'm sure it widens and narrows in various spots but what they showed us here didn't look that wide to me fine maybe swimming was a bad idea but you know what build a rowboat i bet you four there's six of them six of them on a raft with all with paddles i'm pretty sure they could have made it across but like i said i don't oh, yeah, know make, what the details of the river are so maybe it's harder than i think make a dragon boat you know see and then and use shovels for paddles i mean you could burn you could use fire to make a boat you burn the tree down, right? Which is possible. You set a fire at the base of a tree. Eventually it'll burn, fall over. Uh -huh. And then you put coals all along the one side of the thing and you burn out the uh, the dugout part where everybody sits. You make an outrigger. You get a bunch of shovels. You paddle your asses across the river. Take you two days to build that boat. Well, you know what? They don't do that. 
they, I mean, that sounds difficult too, but they take the even harder route and try to build a motor. And, uh, yeah. So I thought it was dumb. And uh, they're on the friggin' Mississippi. If you're going to build a motor, make a paddle wheel. I mean, they've been, they did that for a very long time on the Mississippi. You can run a paddle wheel on goddamn wood fire. You don't need nail polish to run a paddle wheel. Yeah. You don't need an air conditioner. That doesn't even make any sense. No. Like when she, when she said, oh, oh, an air conditioner? I read about that in a story one time. You can make a boiler to run a motor on that. Bullshit. You can make a fucking boiler to run on a goddamn air conditioner. I know. I know. It was so dumb. Um, if they found a motor, I'd still find it unbelievable that they got the goddamn thing running. <laughs> Me if too. I found a if I found a boat motor and I have a boat motor in my garage, <laughs> really, and I think it works. Yeah, it's from Jenny's old boat, which is on the side of the house now. Uh, it's like a four horsepower motor. It's uh-huh. like it, it weighs a goddamn ton. Yeah, like it's and I have it hung up on a specially made piece of wood that I attach to the wall, so it's in great shape. It's and I have the goddamn gas tank on a shelf. If I pulled that motor off of that shelf, uh, off of that hook, put it on a boat. I'm not sure I could get it running. Well, that's <laughs> and that's thing. a boat motor. <laughs> right. And this is an air conditioner. <laughs> right. <laughs> so problematic to say the least. Um, other dumb stuff in this episode is that a lightning bolt hits a post connected to Daiquiri Town. Was it Daiquiri Town? Like uh, something like that. Abandoned from, restaurant nearby. From a blue sky. Well, there was a little bit of thunder rolling. Let's be honest. Another sort of storm. Um, Holy crap, that was dumb though. Like it, it, the lightning hits this post for the sole purpose of it falling down, opening the door and releasing the zombies from Daiquiri Town. You know, the party spilled out onto the street, I guess. And then they start coming down the road towards the shore where they're building the boat. And hey, uh, Elton's fishing rod comes in handy because Felix takes it, wraps it around two trees on each side of the road, the fishing line, to create a fishing line um, clothesline string, which print, you know, which holds the zombies back a little bit. Fine, if you can believe that, that's okay. At least he did something. But then he just stands there and watches the zombies pile up against the thing. Out of nowhere, the two girls run up and body check some zombies down for no apparent reason. They don't kill any of them. They don't use the fact that they're stuck on the fishing line to like poke a few in the head and and kill them. They just stand there looking at them. And then the line breaks and they run back the other way and try to push the boat into the water. It's like, what? What? Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> who, who watched this and was like, that's a great story. The, the tension is intense. No, it's not. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. I have a problem with fishing line because, you know, unless it's pretty strong fishing line, you can probably just walk right to it. It's not meant to carry a 150 pound man. Well, fishing line is is strong. You have to admit that. And when it's wrapped up a bunch. When it's wrapped up a bunch, maybe, but I don't know. I've strung fishing line across uh, in my uh, misspent youth, uh, taking fishing line and stringing it across various things in order to wreak havoc. Like you string it across a couple of posts on a road and a car drives through it and it goes ting, ting, snap, snap, snap. And the cars go, what the fuck that? Yeah. And then they, they pull over and they yell at the window and you run like a son of a bitch. Right. Uh, all good fun. Of course. But, uh, also, you know, my brother stringing fishing line across two posts 
and then uh, we're playing. We used to play games in the woods where we chase him uh, and try and find him in these little blocks of woods. And I don't know, the guy is fucking. I don't know what kind of skills he has, but he was uh, he was more skilled than Rambo because he could hide anywhere. Because we never found him, not once. But he would also take fishing line and string it through uh, trees and stuff. So he would duck under the fishing line and you'd run into it face first. And uh, usually it would snap. And it would hurt like a son of a bitch. I bet, yeah. But, uh, well, yeah. So I've run into situations like that and they don't, it didn't really slow me down other than the cursing and yelling. And you'd hear him giggling from wherever, you know, netherworld that he was hiding in at that particular time. Well, it didn't bother me too much that the fishing line held up the zombies a bit. It just bothered me the whole concept of it and what happened immediately after. So I thought that was all just really dumb. Um, and there's not much else to this episode. I, I hate to say it. I, I suppose that I will admit that it was pretty sad when Elton comes out and sees his dead father, like that, that kid actor that had to portray that. I thought he did a pretty good job. Um, that's one of my biggest fears, right? It is. You mean my wife both die in the middle of the night and my son has to get up the next day and fend for himself? Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, just don't try to both die at the same time, please. Uh, I know. We're thinking of instituting a, you know, president, vice president thing where we're never in the same place at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You can't go on vacations together. Yeah. We just don't uh, succumb to the same whatever. But, uh, you know, it's it's absolutely terrifying. I know the chances of that are very slim, but. Uh, you know, you know how long it would take for somebody to come knocking on the door looking for us? It would take a while. And well, Chris, it's probably up to you. You well, know, if you don't hear crap. from me for a while, fucking call the cops and have them do a, a health check. Okay. I'll, All right? I'll do that. No problem. You're my backup, like maybe every couple of days. No problem. If I don't hear <laughs> from you, I'll come over. I'll f- Just call the cops. I'll the take cops all will your come Lego, by and knock on the- And then I'll call the cops. Yeah, whatever. You can have the Lego. I'll leave it for you in my will in that case. Yes. But just, you know, you don't even have to come over. Just call the police and tell them to come and knock on my door and make sure we're okay. Okay. That's, that's it. Thank Done. you. Done. Thanks. Um, there is one significant thing in this episode. At the very end, uh, Hope and Elton are sitting there. Uh, well, I guess there's two significant things. They're sitting around a campfire after they've crossed the river. Everything's fine. They're sitting around a campfire. Elton's sad. He goes to be by himself. Hope comes, sits with him, and she sees a picture of his mom in uh, his book. And Hope realizes that it is Elton's mom that she shot and killed the night the sky fell. But um, she does not reveal that to Elton, so he does not know. But now we, the audience, have known for a while, and... Hope now knows, so she's going to have to deal with that and probably address this situation at some point. The other thing that happens is at the very end, a mystery person shows up at the camp wielding a stick. We don't see who they are, though, because we cut to black. I was wondering how they were going to further the uh, audience knows that she shot his mom, uh, but... Uh, they don't. And I was wondering, it's like, well, they got to find out somehow, right? They're yep. going to have a big conversation. Like normal people would find out, they would talk about stuff and they'd be like, oh, I was the one who shot your mom. Right. Right. No. So the picture helps. So I was wondering how they were going to further that because they had to, it had to be a thing, right? It wouldn't be a thing unless it was a thing. And, and the fact that it's a thing, they have to know it's a thing. So now somebody knows it's a thing so she can confess like a chump, you know, don't confess to people if it's not going to do any good. 
right? Yep. It's going to, it might make you feel better, but it does not going to make them, if it's not going to make them feel better, or if uh, there's no way you can reconcile it, shut up. Just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she was about to uh, confess to it or not, because they're interrupted by this mystery person in the bushes. But for now, it's just us and her that knows and not all. Uh, so any theories on who this is in the bush with the stick? New, new person. I new person. Assume. Yeah. I assume so too. Is it Michonne? Like Michonne shows up, but she would have a sword, right? A couple of zombies. That's how she showed up before. Yeah. Uh, crap. What a great idea, but it's not, <laughs> it's not going to be her. It's not Michonne. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> definitely not. Um, so who knows? We don't know who that is, but it was a bit of a cliffhanger. I mean, the biggest- There's a woman though, right? I don't think that's clear. I don't know. Really? I thought of, I thought for sure it was a woman. Could be. Why? Anyways. I wonder why that was. I don't know. Uh, I can recognize a woman's hand from 50 feet away. Maybe that's it. In the Super dark, power. holding a stick. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, a little disappointing that there was no new CRM information in this episode. Uh, we've gotten a bit of that in all of the previous episodes, but not here. So this was really just a filler get them from point A to B across this river. And, you know, now maybe we're going to, uh, get back to the, <laughs> the interesting storyline in this show. Uh, but this episode was probably the worst one that they've done so far, right in the middle of the season. And I think it's ultimately a hundred percent forgettable. Wasn't there a movie about a cat and a dog walking across the, walking across America to try and get home from wherever they were lost? I know dogs do that every now and again, but there was a movie about a, uh, a buddy cat and dog movie. Right? I think they talked. I don't know. I don't remember. Does that sound familiar? Not really. Anyway. <laughs> That's what reminds me of this. Uh, this show reminds me of that movie. A bunch of, bunch of animals crossing the country who can talk. Yeah. And I've never seen that movie. Yeah. And I kind of envy that. Well, <laughs> Karen in Los Angeles sent us an email and Karen says, hi guys, I hope you're staying positive and testing negative. In World Beyond, it's crazy how much time they have to sulk and be sad about shit that doesn't matter in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Karen sent this in about an earlier episode, but I think it still applies. And it applies to all of them. It does kind of apply. But then again, you can't really dismiss their pain. Like, it, it's, uh, it's a misnomer. Like, when kids are in pain or are suffering or unhappy about something that's affecting their lives, you can't just belittle it by saying, ah, that's a grade school problem. You'll grow out of it in a year kind of thing. Correct. You, you had, you can't do that, right? It's, it's their pain. It's important to them. Uh, and you have to treat it as such. So, you know, having the fact that they have pain in the zombie apocalypse, yeah, it's kind of, you know, suck it up buttercup kind of thing, but it's also, you know, their pain is important to them. So you have to accept that their pain is important. Wow. Look at you defending the characters on the show. <laughs> no, I'm defending kids <laughs> that, uh, or people that have pain. Everybody has pain. Nobody's pain is imp more, in well, some people's pain is more important. Like, like my pain, for example, is more important than other people's pain. I recognize that, but that's only because it's mine. Right. right? <laughs> anyway, it works. I'm, yeah, you can't just uh, you can't just dismiss somebody else's pain as unimportant because it's trivial to you. Yes, of course. Well, this show feels pretty unimportant, or at least this episode did. I do hope they get back to seeding in more information about the CRM and is sort of giving us that and expanding the universe a bit. 
Um, but this one didn't do any of that. And I thought it was mostly just dumb. So sorry, just World are Beyond. We, are we setting ourselves up for disappointment? Like, so I know that we are watching this show in particular because it's a zombie or a walking dead property. Right. And we feel some kind of obligation to watch this show. And we've kind of justified it in a way, just in, and rightly so, in my opinion, uh, that we've justified it in let's watch this show and see how it affects the big show, mm-hmm. uh, how it affects the regular Walking Dead show. And I think that's an important thing. But I, are we setting ourselves up for failure? Because if they don't give us anything that relates to the Walking Dead primary show, that it's worthless. I mean, we could make the decision that if we think an episode doesn't provide anything, we simply don't talk about it. We, we simply don't cover it. You still have to watch it, though, is the problem. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know... You have to watch it. You well, can let me know. Fair I, enough. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking maybe we should give it more of a chance than uh, setting this bar of, if there's nothing in this about the other show we care about, then this particular episode is complete garbage. But, but that's not really what I'm saying. Like, I think this episode is complete garbage regardless of the fact that it doesn't give us any bigger information. That's an important distinction, and I, I agree with that. Right? I, I'm not, I'm not um, strictly forming an opinion based on the fact that it doesn't provide me what I want. Uh, you, we could have an episode that was still great that doesn't provide that kind of detail. So, no, I'm not doing that, and I don't think that would be fair to the show. Bottom line is, I don't think the show has been very good so far, and I think this is the weakest of the five episodes. Um, oh my God, it's been five? It's been five. We're halfway through, man. Halfway done. And this is just a miniseries, right? They're not going to do a season two? No, they are. They're just, they're doing season one and two, and that's it. There's not oh, going to okay. be anything beyond that. So All right, so it's a semi-miniseries. It's a limited series. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. All right. Anyways. So I, ha- I have that to look forward to. At least. You do. Exactly. (laughs) Someday all this is going to end. Well, in the next um, two years, this will be done and the main show will be done. I don't know what's happening with fear. So you got that to look forward to. Okay. Reminds me of a movie quote. I forget what movie. Maybe somebody could help me out. But the quote is, uh, and this is from a movie, on a good day, I pray for death. (laughs) Jeez. It's depressing. (laughs) It is depressing. And you remember Waterworld? When there was that, uh, they were riding around in that big tanker ship. I mean, sort uh, of, yeah. And in the uh, in the hole of the tanker ship, the oil uh, tanker, there was all the oil that they used to power all their jet skis and shit. And there's a dude and down the, there, right? There was a dude down there, and he was going driving around. And there was an old dude in a uh, in a in a rowboat rowing around in the oil. And then there was a fight going on up, upstairs or whatever. And then a, uh, a, a torch or something came flying down a tube and landed in the oil and it started to blow up. And he just looked right at the camera and said, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and well, then it all blew up. I don't blame that guy one yeah. bit. <laughs> feel like that guy every now and again. Oh, geez. <laughs> just praying for death. All right. Well, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't come too soon and not at the same time as your wife. Yeah. That, people, is going to do it. At this moment in time, it puts us up to date with both of these shows. Our next podcast will be in a week's time when we cover Fear the Walking Dead Season 6, Episode 5. It is called Honey. So you got to figure that's going to be about Dwight and Sherry, because that's what he calls her. And uh, The Walking Dead World Beyond Season 1, Episode 6, called Shadow Puppets. That will be next time on this podcast. In the meantime, 
If you would like to get in touch, of course, you can do that by visiting our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the talking dead, where I post all these episodes, but also sometimes news. There was actually some big news or significant, interesting news in the world of the main show that came out today. So go and check our Facebook page for that information. If you're curious about what it is, uh, you can also, um, send us a voicemail by visiting talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail at the top and recording a message right into your computer. You can also just record one into the memos app on your phone and email it to us. That is a wonderful way to get us your thoughts and whether it's an audio recording or just you just want to send an email, send it to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. All right, that was a long one, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.